Ladies and gentlemen, we, people of color, daughters and sons of immigrants, we belong to Europe. I am, we are the story of Europe. Hello everybody and welcome to We Belong, the podcast that gives a voice to the new daughters of Europe. I'm Yasmina Wiran and I'm your host. And today we are going to introduce a special guest to you. It's a new episode where we will travel to Sweden, but also in the corridors of the European Parliament. Our guest is a member of the European Parliament and she was elected for the first time last year. She is Swedish and Kurdish, and her name is Evin Incher. Hello, Evin. Hello. Thank you for accepting our interview at We Belong. Uh, for our um, episode, and for every episode actually, we uh, ask to our guests to choose one word that defines themselves or their work or what they stand for. So what is your word, Evin? First of all, thank you very much for, uh, for this interview. Um, if I would say one word, I would say it is um, um, uh, solidarity, which, is, uh, which I would say is the guiding star in my work. So solidarity. Definitely. And I think that also in this time, it's super important to talk about solidarity in this time of crisis in Europe where there is a need for more solidarity, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, uh, I do believe, as you just pointed out, during this COVID-19, solidarity has, has become even more important during crisis. We actually, uh, it gives us the possibility to, uh, to show that if solidarity is only a word or if it's also an action that, uh, the, uh, and it doesn't just stay be, uh, being a word, Um, and uh, in the European, if we look at the EU context, I do believe that um, there is still much more needed to be done in order for us to say that EU is the union that uh, we would like to uh, we would like to see it be. Of course, there is still a long way to go. By the way, this this year it's 70 years since the creation of the European Union, and so it's symbolically, you know, important to remind these values and to make sure that we achieve this union, right? Absolutely. I mean, during these 17 years, EU has done something that I think is quite uh, exclusive for, for, uh, the, 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 uh, for Europe or the European Union, uh, at least, and that is to keep peace and, uh, and democracy and freedom uh, during uh, this long period. So uh, for, uh, for those who, um, who uh, do not believe in or... I'm a bit amazed uh, and I do not really understand those who do not see um, uh, what EU has contributed with. I mean, 70 years of peace, tell that to a Kurdish person who is uh, born in Middle East with conflicts all around in the region. Uh, 17 years of peace is, peace is quite a lot. Definitely. And you mentioned it. You were born in the Middle East. You were born, in, you know, as a Kurdish woman. You, you faced many challenges, I imagine, uh, before coming to Sweden. So um, perhaps, you know, you could tell us more about your story and where you were born and uh, your arrival uh, to, to, to Sweden. Um, how was your childhood, by the way, like both, um, you know, when you arrived to Sweden and before? 
Um, I was around uh, six years old when we uh, came to Sweden. Uh, as you said before, I'm Kurdish originally. And the situation for the Kurds in all four parts, uh, Iran, Iraq, Turkey and Syria, uh, and I myself from the Turkish part is not... Uh, uh, is not the best to to say it mildly. Um, so for for me and my um, then younger brother, and now I have two younger brothers. One of them is born in Sweden, but then only one younger brother. Um, uh, my parents wanted us to be able to fulfill our dreams, which is uh, quite of a challenge for for the Kurdish people in the region. Um, uh, because of the oppression uh, that the, that there is, not at least in Turkey, as, as I said, I'm I'm born there, in the city of Diyarbakir, the Kurdish city of Diyarbakir. Um, so when I was five, five six years old, uh, we came to Sweden, 1990, um, together with my parents. Then, of course, uh, and I must. I must be frank because I do not have so many memories with me from my childhood and how we came to Sweden. One of the um, uh, one of the reasons might be my parents are saying that it was a quite trauma a traumatic experience for me as a child, which meant that in order to survive, um, I I suppressed it. Um, so unfortunately, I do not have so many me memories from uh, from when I was below six. Definitely, and I think it, yeah, it sh should have been so difficult to leave a country in such a context and reach Sweden. Um, by the way, you I think you grew up in a pretty popular suburb in Sweden. Do you want to tell us more about it? And is it this you know this? Um, context where you grew up and the, uh, the, the, the issues that you might have faced, did they shape your convictions? I would say both my, uh, both my background as, Kurd uh, as Kurdish uh, from the Turkish parts and me growing up in one of the suburbs uh, in Sweden, in the city of Gothenburg, was what shaped me indeed. Uh, for me, for example, solidarity must not see any kind of borders and equality is as uh, important uh, and that is because of the challenges uh, me, my, uh, me and my, my family has been faced with, I would say. Some part of it at least is. And uh, some other part is how I saw how the society was built up and how the society, how the current or back then at least um, socioeconomic policies were affecting people with, with a certain background, uh, both uh, certain ethnicities, but also um, uh, with uh, social, with other socioeconomic backgrounds and so on. So uh, yeah, both of them I would say is has affected me. I'm, as you said, grown up in um, a suburb called Bayern in Gothenburg. Amazing, and um, so despite yeah those challenges that you went through, you were highly motivated to um, to engage in in politics. Uh, when did these convictions came out to you. What is what would you say is the you know the milestone or the defining moment they make you say okay now I have to run for politics. I wouldn't say that I have always been highly motivated uh, because I do remember when I was in I was uh, 13 14 years old. I was 14 when I entered politics. I was quite young. But uh, the the youth organization of the Social Democratic Party had um, 
uh, a campaign in the suburbs. And one of the suburbs was where I was going to school in. Um, in the beginning, I thought that people like me couldn't, would not be listened to. Why? And that uh, that politics is for middle-aged white men. That was my my view on uh, who was engaged politically. Um, but nevertheless, I gave it a chance, not because of I really believed that I could make a change, but rather to see what is it. And uh, they also had some social activities. So I said, okay, let me try it. So I usually say that I, I went into politics because of one reason, but I stayed because of a totally other reason. I went in because uh, to, to see um, uh, what they are doing and because of their social activities, but I stayed when I realized that shit, this is really affecting me. And therefore it is time for me also to start influencing what is affecting me. And I realized very fast that maybe I had a wrong picture of, um, of what po who is engaged in politi and politics and who can make a change. So that was the reason of why I stayed in India and that I realized very fast that yeah, people like me actually could, uh, could make a change and is uh, listened to. It's such an important and essential message as you're sharing with us today because it's precisely one of our goals that we belong to show uh, the successful story and prove to older young women that this is possible, no matter where you come from, no matter your age, no matter, um, you know, um, you know, where uh, or when you are going to do it, but just try. And that's what you did. You just tried and you tried and you made it. Um, you said in an interview, uh, it is great to be elected to the largest parliament in the world and to be able to work on the issues that I'm burning for. Um, why this election uh, was, you know, arose such enthusiasm in you? Uh, I was saying that in the beginning when you asked me about the word, uh, one word that could describe my work and I said solidarity, one thing I think that is important to add to it is that <coughs> for me, solidarity uh, must never see any border. So my belief in that the, in international solidarity has also been the reasons of why I was never interested in national uh, parliament, but rather the European parliament. And to be frank also, necessary, not necessarily either the European Parliament, because what has always been important for me is to make, um, when I realized that, shit, I really can uh, influence politics, was that uh, I, I wanted to engage in some kind of a platform where I could canalize, channelize my engagement in. Um, but then uh, when... Uh, when um, I realized that there might be a possibility to, to run for the European Parliament and maybe even be elected. Uh, I saw that as a very important, um, important platform. So for me, the, uh, the engagement is always much more important, of course, than the platform itself. But, uh, but uh, the European Parliament, of course, is, um, uh, is in this context, at least, if we look at globally, is... Uh, Right now, I would say one of the most important platforms where we could influence both um, both the European politics, but also global politics. Definitely. And I totally agree with you when you say that it's, you know, more uh, natural for you to be oriented towards a more international context or at least regional. Um, I say so because, I mean, I'm... I'm Italian and French. I mean, not French, but I live in France since nine years. And when we live in different European countries, we have different roots. 
Of course, that uh, having an approach that is more international comes uh, almost naturally. And by the way, at the European Parliament, you work on international issues. You are the vice chair, if I don't make mistake, of the delegation for relations with Palestine, the delegation in the to the European Union and Turkish um, Joint Parliamentarian Committee. So it's issues that you know very well because it's context that you know are close to your uh, country of origins to your um to your roots um how your roots you know your Swedish and turkish identities play in your work and like which part uh, would you say is you know the most um um irrelevant and important uh, for you So I sit in both delegation, but I also sit in committees. Uh, I sit actually in three committees. One is uh, uh, called LIBE, uh, Committee on Liberties, uh, Civil Liberties, Justice and Home Affairs. And then the second is um, uh, Committee of Foreign Relations. And then the third is the Development Committees. So both the delegation and committees are actually going very much hand in hand. But of course, my uh, my background is um, is uh, affecting or not affecting necessarily, but it has brought an experience which I think um, is uh, is quite important in my current work, and that is um, the the experience of how. Uh, it feels to belong to a group of oppressed people uh, and the importance of international solidarity um, because in the end, um, in order to to eliminate wars uh, or end wars and conflicts, we need to uh, do it together across the borders. Um, And uh, that has at the same time also Um, I mean, my my background as Kurdish and grown up as in a suburb has also given me an experience with uh, what it means to be hit by inequalities. Uh, And uh, yeah, these two have, as you see, has affected my my engagement quite a lot and given me an experience. So when I talk about it, I personally know what it is about. Um, And uh, and it has also given me the possibility to to. uh, to uh, personally um, uh, uh, know what kind of challenges, what kind of solutions that would be needed in order to end this um, both uh, oppression, but also inequalities. I think that, you know, talking about inequalities from your perspective as an MEP, it's super important because um, we often have uh, discourses among citizens um, that have this image of, you know, Brussels and politics and European institutions as being very far from people's needs and people's uh, struggles. But you actually prove that um, you know them very well and you um, make sure that they are addressed um, through the committees that you work in. So it's super important to make, you know, also to demystify institutions. Um, do you go back to, to the neighborhood where you were Uh, grow, where you grew up uh, to talk about young about it to young people to motivate them now i know i have since 10 years back approximately or a bit more than 10 years i should say i haven't been living in my own city or the the city i've been grown in grown up in um i live in Uppsala, um which is a couple of hours uh, away from from gothenburg but I, when I lived in Gothenburg, I actually um, also worked as substitute teacher, um, not at least in the suburbs. Uh, in one uh, during a period of time, I even 
worked as substitute teacher in my own previous high school or uh, sorry, secondary school. Um, so, uh, yeah, I have done it in different ways. And I in my when I was elected as the chair of my um, youth district in Gothenburg when I was 2021, 20, I was also out and campaigning, of course, and talking to young people in the suburbs. <laughs> Um, why it is uh, important to engage politically, but it is a long, it's, you cannot do it during, I mean, to awaken this feeling of belonging and that I can make a change, it doesn't take, uh, it takes quite a long time in order to make people in the areas to feel that, yes, I can really make that change. So it has, it is a quite big challenge to, uh, to uh, change the view on what politics is and uh, who could really engage in politics among people who do not feel that they are a part of the uh, a part of uh, of the society in general? I would say also because when you have different roots and you are often maybe discriminated. I don't know how is the context in Sweden. I would I would love to hear from you how do these people perceive themselves and what they go through in terms of inclusion and um, and you know uh, diversity and acceptance acceptance of the other. But it's difficult to understand what is having a European identity when you don't even have a national identity, right? Well, I do, I do believe that we, we go around with quite many identities at the same time, but the society is built in a certain way that you cannot have several identities. It's like you're being questioned. Are you Kurdish or are you Swedish? Are you European? Are you... Uh, for me, they are not contradicting each other. You could be... Like you can be somebody from Gothenburg at the same time as being Swedish. Why is that possible? But why isn't it possible for me to be Kurdish and Swedish or Swedish and European and so on and so on? So um, but there is quite a lot of challenges in the society in order in order to to for people to understand that you could actually be. Uh, you could have several identities and they do not necessarily contradict each other. Definitely. And what about you, um, uh, your European identity? Um, can you tell us more about what's the core values, especially now that, you know, we're just, we just celebrated uh, the 70 years of the European Union. What's something that you would like to see for the future of Europe? What's, you know, your dream for a better Europe? I do believe, uh, and in the beginning, as you also said, COVID-19, for example, have showed the importance of solidarity. I do believe that Europe um, uh, in the, or the COVID-19 have showed that uh, we need more of a cooperation, both on a regional, but also on a global level. So I, I think that we need more of Europe in, on some uh, cases uh, and some areas. Uh, or at least a deeper cooperation uh, and coordination uh, in some areas. So, um, yeah, and Europe has brought peace, democracy and freedom for so long time. Um, so uh, I hope that we will see um, a continued European Union for at least 70 more years. And uh, I hope also other regions would take after if we, uh, as I said in the beginning again, um, about my roots in Middle East, uh, if we had a similar cooperation in Middle East, I'm sure that we wouldn't see this, those um, conflicts and the wars that we see uh, in, uh, in the region. 
So I hope that uh, we will be able to spread the thought about Europe or regional integration and cooperation to other regions also. Yeah, it's you know a model, uh, as you mentioned, there is a need for better leadership abroad. And um, Europe for long has positioned itself as the um, region or the you know institutions that wants to promote uh, human rights. But uh, we saw that, yeah, lately, um, while we had to make a stand to protect vulnerable people fleeing wars, um, we made agreements with countries that are not that stable. I think about Libya, I think about also their countries, but um, there is so much to do. And what do you think would be a good way to, to tackle those issues, especially migration? I think one of the ways is that we make sure to, um, to vote for parties and people who uh, actually believe in solidarity, in international solidarity. We see that there are forces coming into power in some countries Uh, not at least Hungary and Poland, when talking about dismantling of democracy, for example, uh, which, uh, which, uh, which is a threat to both uh, the nations, uh, the, the, the countries itself, but also to the, pro to the European Union as a project. Um, so if you have a protec protec protectionistic uh, and populistic um, parties in power, that's also the po policies that will be... Uh, Uh, implemented in those countries and that's also those people who will be sitting in and being head of governments or being representing those countries in the parliaments so that's one of the one of the important things and the second is i mean that we continuing upholding multilateralism and uh, international solidarity through different kind of engagement so i think there are several things that we can do at the same time um, and uh, make sure to also Uh, contact, for example, your uh, parliamentarians and your representative and make your voice allowed on uh, on the policies that are being conducted. Yes, because they represent you, they represent your views. We saw also that there was an increased participation, especially of young people in the last elections. And it was something that proved that it's, you know, it's in, an in, of interest of young people to be part of politics and be heard. But of course... The, the road is still long. And as you said, um, we need more people to vote for uh, solidarity, to vote for those issues in, in order to have a change. Um, of course, when there are um, anti-European uh, parties um, leading uh, campaigns and, um, and, you know, calling for a... Um, Exit from the from Europe. I think about Italexit, Frexit, all those countries that you know where there are parties promoting these these uh, these policies or this uh, this strategy. It's more challenging. It's more challenging, but it's um, even more challenging as we think about the COVID 19 crisis. I just think about Italy, where this lack of unity from the European Union is becoming dangerous. In you know, young, young people and citizens in Italy, they are afraid. They um, don't trust institutions anymore. What do you think about this? First, I think, I mean, this whole situation with, with far-right movements or uh, populist parties coming into power, right-wing extremist power, uh, parties, it shows for us that every generation actually needs to 
uh, regain or re win um, or win democracy. I don't know how to explain it, uh, but uh, to to fight for democracy, to fight for human rights, uh, for fight to fight for solidarity, and that's nothing that we can take for granted. Um, uh, because, I mean, the generations before us took a struggle, but we need to continue that struggle. We cannot just say that we are taking it for granted right now. Um, so we have, as in the new generation, a responsibility to also continue that struggle. Um, and then when it comes to the, the solidarity among the, um, among the countries right now, um, I would say the first step that was taken by some countries, uh, they were not... Uh, at all those steps that at least I would have wanted to see, they were very, uh, they were very short term and very, very populistic also, once again, and protectionistic um, in the beginning. But there the parliament um, and the commission um, said that enough is enough and some other countries, member states, of course, and told those countries that it's not possible to continue like that. COVID-19 is a um, challenge that or is a virus, a pandemic that doesn't see any borders. If a problem doesn't see any borders, the solutions cannot see any borders because it says itself. And if, if, if uh, the solutions are co nationally co uh, connected, that's a bit, you know, contradicting uh, itself. So I do believe in those cases uh, where the challenges do not see any borders, the solutions cannot do it either. Definitely, definitely. And it's precisely yeah, the, the, the contradiction between having a union and at the same time countries that think about their economy and want to, to, you know, to preserve themselves at the expense of other countries that are more affected by the crisis. It is, but on and I mean, it's understandable that spontaneously that um, that one thinks that uh, the the way of solving it is through national solutions. Uh, but I think, as a politician, as an um, elected official, and not at least as prime ministers and head of states, uh, one needs to think uh, longer than that, and one needs to understand that. Um, uh, that the economy, for example, in the European Union, it's interlinked to each other, which means that what is happening to the companies, uh, for example, in Italy, which is then affecting the economy of Italy and will also affect the situation for our companies and our economies uh, here in, uh, in Sweden or Germany or France and so on and so on. So the European Union, our economies are interlinked to each other. Yes, and, and also we have, uh, as you mentioned, freedom of movement. Uh, there, there are no borders in normal times in Europe. Now we saw this return of borders because of this emergency, which many people were very sad to see, you know, this return of borders. But on the same time, it was something like, I hope, temporary. And one day we need to come back to normal. We need to uh, think about reopening. And if we don't, you know, support each other in solving this crisis as soon as possible and jointly, Well, perhaps the countries that today are not supporting Italy, they will see Italians arriving and maybe some of them will still carry the virus. So as soon as we understand that we are in this together, the better response we will make, right? Absolutely. I totally agree that, uh, I mean, we are all in it together. And, uh, and uh, I mean, once again, the virus doesn't, doesn't see any borders, so the solution cannot see any borders. And even though I would say if the solution see any borders, 
Um, as a social democrat, I too, as I said before, uh, believe that solidarity must always be the guiding star in our in our work. Um, uh, so uh, we we shouldn't only um, see it with the glasses that it, it doesn't affect me, therefore it doesn't concern me. Um, of course, it uh, it should con uh, concern us what happens in other countries. Uh, or regions, regardless of if it affects us or if it doesn't affect us. And that's also why I have chosen the committees, for example, that I have done. Um, I work, uh, well, yeah, I mentioned the committees before, but I work with democracy, human rights internally in Europe, but also externally. Um, so, so solidarity must be there regardless of if it affects us or not. Solidarity, which is your world, and it's, you know, something that is symbolically representing you, your commitment and your work at the European Parliament. Thank you so much. Um, let's just conclude with one last um, questions for you, question for you. I would love to know one key, one key advice that you would like to give to young people and especially young women that might come from underprivileged backgrounds and the need to be, you know, said you know, positive words about whether it's possible to be in politics or to enterprise um, new, you know, new uh, work experiences. So what's your key message for them? My key message would be that if I can do it, you can do it. Very shortly. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Thank you so much. Thank you. And we shouldn't, I mean, let ourselves to be, to be limited by... Uh, ideas of how things are but we should rather make sure that uh, that uh, yeah to, to not let these kind of thoughts limit us and uh, once again if i can do it everybody everybody can do it that's for sure thank you for this you know message of hope and positivity we really appreciate we thank you for uh, accepting our interview and it was such a pleasure having this discussion with a member of the european parliament thank you Let's conclude with a key. Um, today's guest gave us so much hope in, um, you know, advancing our career and in just trying and daring. Um, so I can't help but give a, a key related to the European institutions. As some of you might know, the European Parliament organized twice a year a traineeship called Schumann Traineeship. And for the next cohort, which will run from October to February 2021, to be eligible, you must have a university level diploma, um, knowing at least two languages of the European Union, meaning English, French, German, Italian, Spanish, etc. And the deadline for the application is the 30th of June. So why not you? <laughs> This was the end of our episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. Um, we Belong is a podcast produced by Le Cavalcade and you can find us on all platforms. Thank you. Bye.